Hello there and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. On today's episode, I shall be discussing a brand new adaptation, the latest I should say, of a particular character from the comic book universe from DC, the Caped Crusader, the Dark Knight, you know him as the Bat, or in most cases, just the Batman. Uh, Today's episode will focus on the Matt Reeves film, which has come out just this year, and I know lots of people have talked about it, but I might as well add my voice to the opinions and just sort of join the conversation about this epic, pretty much three-hour-long film in which Matt Reeves, as the director of this film, really goes back to the bare basic roots of what Batman should be, in my opinion. Uh, And today we're going to be looking at my highlights of the film, key scenes, uh, aspects that I liked, aspects that I didn't like, and one is quite a big one really, and it's one that everybody seems to be pointing out at the moment, but we will get back to that just later. Uh, But really, first of all, just to start off with, if you're not following us on our social media, keep following us because I am just putting out polls as we speak or questions and such to get your opinions and to collect them for future episodes and there's some more exciting things coming up ahead. I'm really excited to get a couple of mini-series. I know some people really enjoyed the Decades series, I know I enjoyed making it and promoting that series within Take 97 last year but this year I have got plans for two series. Uh, One will be eight part and the other will potentially be about four episodes spanning as well but I will drop some clues and hints about that later as we go through the year and yeah let's just get back to The Batman. The Batman is a dark gritty noirish superhero thriller essentially, that you could call it, really. The film stars Robert Pattinson, who, anyone who knows Twilight or even the fourth Harry Potter film, The Goblet of Fire, you'll know Robert Pattinson for that. He plays the titular character of The Batman, obviously, and Bruce Wayne. But I think that with this film, I do think Robert Pattinson was an interesting choice, and lots of people were thinking, "Mm, really, really? But then again, you think about some of the work he's done more recently, such as um, the film The Lighthouse with Robert Eggers and various other films as well. He starred in Tenet, not really my favourite film, but he starred in that and he seems to be doing a little bit better than the whole teenage vampire thing or the one that gets killed in Harry Potter with the Batman. Robert Robert Patterson takes this grungy look to things and Matt Reeves you know they collaborate and create this Bruce Wayne that's just as brooding and solitary as any other Batman has ever been minus maybe (laughs) Adam West which let's be honest he's the only one who actually actually had friends I think everybody else didn't really but I think Robert Pattinson you know he's got this emo looking sort of like long hair really sort of depressed moody Batman you know really bringing back that feel of what it is to be Batman and a someone who's lost their parents and you know all the classic Batman stuff that everybody already knows that his parents were killed at the opera and all that stuff which is touched upon again for the hundredth time in this film but we'll get back to that sort of point later it also co-stars Paul Dano who plays the Riddler a character which I feel is very underused sometimes, to be fair, whenever they decide to make a film or a TV series. Um, well, I say that he was used, the Riddler was used quite a lot in the TV series Gotham, which is like the 
prequel kind of rising of villains and everything in Gotham before they were their main selves and such. And I think the Riddler, you know, the only other adaptation I've seen of the Riddler. So there's the 60s version of the Riddler, which was played by about two, three people, I think, in the Adam West TV series, which was very comical and very campy, like anything in that show. Um, But then the other Riddler we saw was Jim Carrey, which again was kind of campy, but slightly unhinged and, you know, in the classic Jim Carrey way that he was very off the wall and very zany and very comic booky because of the nature of Batman and Robin. But I think Paul Dano's Riddler is probably the best Riddler. I, I enjoyed the Riddler adaptation that they used in Gotham. He was great. Um, a little bit mm, flat sometimes, but on most occasions he was a Riddler that was very dark and sinister but Paul Dano really takes it to the next step, the next level. But I will get more into that in a moment. Colin Farrell also stars as Oswald Cobblepot, uh, the Penguin. And Zoe Kravitz is Selina Kyle, also known as Catwoman. Although, to be fair, she never really gets referred to as Catwoman. There's just several cat-related things. Uh, so, yeah, she could have just been a random woman if we didn't know her backstory and if anybody didn't know their context for the comics but yeah overall i would say so it's you know this film like i said it's a very noirish dark superhero thriller there is action there's gunplay that you know well i say gunplay gunshots and everything and batman doing his boom 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 stuff but at the end of the day this film at the heart of its narrative and matt reeves's direction with this film is a film that's consistent of detective genre and all of the tropes that you associate with some neo-noirs, so, you know, the dark, rainy atmosphere and the grungy atmosphere. I kind of get Blade Runner vibes, but in a very more grounded way in that respect, So, and in the superhero genre. And to be honest with you, I say superhero genre. The Batman really isn't a superhero film. It follows a guy, you know, it goes back to the basics, follows a guy, a rich dude, who lost his parents, who likes to dress up in black as and call himself the Batman. Or, in this case, he likes to refer to himself as Vengeance. And um, I genuinely think that the way that it's portrayed is quite refreshing, to be honest with you. And that's coming from someone who enjoys a good superhero film all the time. Because the film from start to finish, we start off with... There's a murder, and then another murder. You know, it's a serial killer kind of vibe, and we're going for this whole Zodiac Killer aesthetic as well. You know, it's very similar in the way that the Zodiac Killer operated in a way, similar sort of vibe, similar sort of MO in a way, but then with the added sort of, I don't know, comic booky world then, but with a touch of realism as well in the mix with the Riddler's plot. I do think that overall, and... The cast itself, as I just said, that main sort of four, they really do showcase a great talent of acting. And that's saying something, considering I'm not the biggest Robert Pattinson fan. I'm not like, oh my god, R-Bats, oh my god. But I did come out of the cinema thinking, do you know what? As he's known by loads of people, R-Bats, he didn't do a bad job. Uh, And the other person that I should mention before I carry on with my analysis and discussion of the film, really, is uh, Jeffrey Wright, who plays... Uh, Lieutenant Gordon, um, who actually, you know, he's coming about a little bit more nowadays, actually. He's starting to be in more things. Like, I only saw him in, I think he'd been in something else before, but I can't remember. But 
I'd seen him first in Westworld, the TV series, the HBO-led TV series, and he's also played Felix Leiter in James Bond No Time to Die as well. Um, things don't really end well for Jeffrey Wright's characters, I feel, but I'll leave you with that for now. Uh, in this case, he plays quite a solid Gordon. He's, he's just there as support for Robert Pattinson's Batman, and he's just there all the time, just sort of as the police support and everything, and being on the, the Batman's or Bruce Wayne's side. Um, but it's just a really simple character that you know you can rely on. Uh, I don't think anything especially stands out to me for his character. He's just there. He does a role in the film. He's just present. I, I don't get a great effect. And to be honest with you, I think the film itself, it's all about really when you it's when you get down to the bare basics of it, about the visuals, the central plot, which revolves around the Riddler and the Batman playing this cat and mouse act, as it were, with a larger sort of context around all these people that get killed and the corruption within the system and the Riddler's plan to unmask the truth, which is the tagline for the film. And I think that at the end of the day, you know, so he's just a spoiler alert for you guys who haven't seen the Batman. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, just a spoiler alert here. But basically the Riddler's plan is to unmask the truth of all this corruption within key places within Gotham, so, you know, the GCPD, all those kind of things, the the mayor, all these different figures of power and people that are meant to be uprising members of the community, they're not so good after all. And he's unmasking the truth about everyone, um, including at one point he wants to unmask Bruce Wayne as well. And everything is directed at the Batman. The Batman has to solve the case. And I do think, you know, I'll get into this now, that the... Film is a detective film at the end of the day. That's what it is. DC stands for Detective Comics. That's what it is. And the bare bones of any of the DC characters, so the Flash, he's you know in the, at least in the CW version of the Flash, he's working for the CCPD. You know, they work within the crime scene side of things. And Batman's a vigilante, so he does things differently to the police and there's always this that battle between the police and the law and everything like that but the thing with this film it's intricate in the way that it places details around and obviously the riddler is infamous for his riddles and that is what the film is framed around we open with something that leads us on a trail of clues and we eventually find out the true nature of what the riddler wants to do to be honest with you it's quite rudimentary it's you know, one guy who was in the system, the corrupt system, so we learned that Paul Dano's The Riddler was a child in the care system, and he was let down, that kind of thing, and he's bringing the system down because of the corruption that he experienced and saw as an innocent child, and various other things that he's experienced over the years as he's grown up, and obviously he's become very messed up in that time, because obviously he calls himself the Riddler, and he dresses up in this weird, weird, creepy outfit. I mean, let's just talk about the costumes then. Before I go on about the plot and everything, a few more details about the story and the structure and how it's filmed, the look of the film in terms of everything they filmed in liverpool uh, for parts of the exteriors of the batman so in the uk uh you know for lots of great vantage points you can use like high tall buildings which you can use as mimics for well i say new york city 
Gotham is basically New York City, but the grungy version. Uh, and there was lots of interesting interior work from the lighting and everything like that from cinematography and all that perspective. But the costume design, I think, was very, very simple, very effective. And then you get the Riddler's weird, like, don't want to say, like, creepy fetish like outfit but it's really strange it's like a gas mask and like a really strapped up leather bound outfit like a gas suit kind of thing for like a worker in like a gas mine or something like that but it's just especially with the heavy breathing it brings that sort of creepiness that people associate with things like Darth Vader and where you really assume that something like that also bad's gonna happen because you hear that noise that deep creepy breathing and the way he just screams at the top of his voice on the recorded videos which he puts out to the public or the live streams that he puts out to the public uh, saying i am coming to save gotham city that kind of thing you know very classic maniacal evil villain way but with a hint of very creepy perverseness if you will and his costume is very scary like you see the whites of his eyes really magnified by those like I don't, like goggles, I suppose you could call them, really, but they're really, really creepy. The Batman's outfit is different to, a little bit more streamlined, I'd say, compared to some of the other Batman outfits that we've seen. Like, Michael Keaton's Batman is very traditional. It's, you know, it's got the fake muscle, sort of chest piece, everything, like protective armor kind of thing. And you've got Ben Affleck's Batman, which is really beefy and big. Uh, I suppose Christian Bale's Batman is really the closest you're going to get to a streamlined suit for the Batman. I, I think that in terms of costuming, but Robert Pattinson's and Christian Bale's Batman suits are sort of equal then. Like, there's a heaviness to Christian Bale's Batman suit, but with Robert Pattinson, there's a heaviness, but at the same time you feel that there's a slight more agility to it then and he can do more he can move more and he just seems to be ever present i mean apart from the fact that like all batmen from like the darker grungier side of batman they all have this really tough big broad shoulder approach where you know no matter how flexible their suit is down below and everything like that their shoulders are always broad and puffed out chest and everything like that and the head itself as well doesn't really Again, it's the same as Christian Bale's Batman suit, like in the way, like there's a different design. The ears are slightly pointier, I think, but it's very much a more flexible suit that you can move in, very much in comparison to uh, <laughs> Michael Keaton's Batman, where, especially in the first film, he couldn't actually move his head really at all. He just had to go ooh, ooh, from side to side. <laughs> but I think the Riddler's costume is very reminiscent of how really creepy a supervillain can be and especially someone that's just down to earth and not all about dressing up in spandex and it brings things back to reality which is what superhero films are doing nowadays like they're trying to bring accurate comic book costumes in but they're trying to make them believable and this is obviously one of the many adaptations of batman like some people would go for the campy side of things but i think the Riddler's look and the Batman's look, everybody's costumes and even the Catwoman's outfit, she is very traditional because the Catwoman's suit is nothing really much. It's just quite 
just thin material it's leather of some description usually um it's not stand out in your face kind of effect like michelle pfeiffer's massive weird kinky thing that she wore in batman returns which got a lot of complaints from parents alike at the time uh but i think with this one it's it's leather but without being like pvc then shall we say and it also has the hat it's barely i say hat the headpiece her mask she barely wears it much at all but it's almost like she's just wearing i don't want to say a sock but like a sock on her head it doesn't really or like um, one of those burglar masks then because she is meant to be a cat burglar i suppose but it's really it seems a bit pointless to me if you ask me having that on her head she does take it off for the majority of the film anyway but i suppose it's not as an iconic look as say batman um, and then the other one as well, the other costuming is Colin Farrell's Penguin. Now, Colin Farrell is unrecognisable in his role as the Penguin. He's had like, lots of makeup and prosthetics done on his face to make him look a bit more bigger and a bit more scarred and a bit more sort of out there, really. But he just looks like a regular dude, to be honest. Like... Compared to, obviously, the comic book nature of the Michael Keaton Batman Returns, where you have Danny DeVito playing a deformed version of the Penguin. That's one version of it. And then you've got the... Um, I've forgotten what his name is now, but the guy from the 60s version uh, in the TV series where he, he has his flippers, as it were, but he's dressed very comic booky and very brightly coloured and everything. And then you get that mixture of the comic book, but also the, re the sort of wimpy side to the Penguin in Gotham. Whereas this guy is very much, although he's proven, Colin Farrell's Penguin, his version, is proven to be very, I don't know, used by everybody. And he's just a small part of the puzzle then, really. He isn't like Oswald in the Gotham TV series where he is in control towards the end but and playing the long game. He's instead actually, you know, he's a wimp in that respect. But Colin Farrell is... Like a kingpin, then, shall we say, the kingpin of his time. He owned, you know, his lounge, the Iceberg Lounge, or whatever it's called, and then his club and everything. And he just plays with whoever's more on his side, then, shall we say. I do feel like that's one aspect of the Penguin that will always be kept in every version is the fact that he is always there. He'll choose his sides wisely and choose who to go with. And especially because there's this connection to the big mob families like the Fal Falcone and Maroni and all those kind of gangsters that are brought into the world of Gotham. He'll always side with whoever's going to pay him more or keep him alive, basically, to do what he wishes, which is to weave between each of the people. But yeah, so the Penguin's outfit is very simple. He does it. He's like, he's dark trench coat obviously the prosthetics do a lot for the colin farrell anyway to add to the characterization along with his actual voice acting as well but yeah costume wise is all very mooted everyone's all wearing drab suits and it's all very darkly colored in the palette and everything there's not much color in here at all really like you might see the odd bruise and coloring in the red of the blood or sometimes occasionally in the action sequences or like the aftermath of the Batman fights with various people that he's battling against as he tries to solve this riddle that the Riddler has left for him, this big long riddle, this long game. But in terms, speaking of colour palette though, like I said, it's mooted, it's very dark and dingy, but there's a lot of, there is some burnt orange, like if you look at the poster for the Batman, that burnt orange sky and that effect, it's kind of reminiscent of Blade Runner 2049 in some respect. 
in the color palette, especially when the fire goes up in one of my favorite sequences. Um, I absolutely love. So, you know, back into the summary of this film, really, you know, you've got the cast. It's quite a good cast. They each lead their own. And then it's a detective film at the end of the day, but with Batman in it. <laughs> and then to me, it was a visual masterpiece. That's what it was. I think personally, it was a little too long and it could have been streamlined at times. There were times where, yes, it's nice to see the characters breathe and see the cinematography breathe and everything sort of have its own space but I do think that it could have been much shorter it could have been it was nearly three hours long and don't get me wrong I I was enjoying it but it did get to I think it was the last maybe half an hour and I was thinking oh could, is, is it nearly over kind of thing like I enjoyed it and it was very good and the performances were brilliant and it's technically amazing but I just think and I'm not even saying this as a lazy audience member. I genuinely think that the point was made at several times. Like, that it, it kind of suffered from not the same problem as, like, Halloween. The Halloween film, or Halloween Kills, that came out in 2020. It literally didn't know when to end. So it would look like it was going to end and come to a nice conclusion. And then there was more. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, there are points where the Batman was talking to the Riddler and the Riddler was doing all these things and clues and whatnot and you thought okay there's more to come but how can there be because it seems so like he could just do this this and this and I think the Riddler once the Riddler gets captured that's what sort of made me think yeah he's been put in Arkham you don't really want to keep watching because you think that the bad guy's been put away uh, obviously there's the whole idea that he is still masterminding everything even though he's in prison, which is, you know, that creepy effect that you get from lots of Batman characters. You know, the Joker has his followers, Riddler has his followers, all those kind of things. And ultimately, the city of Gotham comes to a standstill and crashes and burns, gets flooded. At least portions of it do, majority of it do. And then the ultimate message of this film is, you know, be careful who you cross <laughs> in a much darker way. Uh, than Syndrome from The Incredibles ever would. But I think that the cinematography of the film is a brilliant example of class filmmaking from Matt Reeves. Especially, there's certain sequences that I could highlight, particularly the car chase with the Penguin, and he's driving away at high speed, Batman's following him, it's a nice big action sequence. It goes on, I think, arguably sometimes like believably like all these crashes and turns you think oh my god someone would have been dead by now but there you go uh but when you see penguin he's turned over in his car and you get to see from penguin's pov the batman walking towards him and i love the, that that image of him upside down with flames behind him all just sort of lighted up with this burnt orange tone it just looks beautiful on screen it's beautiful to see on a big screen so if they ever do re-releases of the batman i highly encourage people to go and watch the batman on a big screen because it genuinely is so amazing to see as a visual masterpiece and then you've got the lovely tones from the darker side of things so very much neo-noir film noir techniques with the dark lighting you've got lamps and torches shining through venetian blind style effect and you've also got lamp lit sections of the apartments and the buildings like the police headquarters as well everything's just really dimly lit but you can still see everything it's not like some films these in modern cinema where 
you cannot see anything and unless you turn the lights out you can see stuff but it's the right mix of light and dark i would say and to be honest this film is called the batman and you actually see more of the batman than you do bruce wayne which i think is quite a nice touch really to be honest with you and even that's the other thing as well the bat cave you see robert patterson as the batman in the bat cave and then everywhere else when he's out and about you see him as the Batman, and you I think you, you never really see Bruce Wayne. It goes with that traditional idea that Bruce Wayne is a reclusive rich man who doesn't really do anything except for go to the odd charity event or public funeral, in the case of uh, <laughs> one element of the film. He really is just a reclusive, moody guy in this version. All the other Bruce Waynes have been rich guys, rich billionaire playboy kind of people. They stay in their own space and they don't do much apart from the odd public engagement. Uh, Other than maybe I'd argue Michael Keaton is a little bit more socially engaged and so was the likes of the more comical side of things with Adam West. But this version of Batman, we only see Robert Pattinson's face, just a clean basic face, in public once and that's at the funeral scene. Uh, which you've seen in the trailer, I imagine, as well. If anybody's seen the film as well, you'll know that he only really makes a public appearance once really properly. And any time he takes the bat mask off, he's got his makeup all showing on display like he's just come fresh out of the bat suit. And that's what I like about that is, you know, this choice to go with a dark, moody look. And the cinematography, so the lighting, really adds to the effect, especially when you see Bruce's eyes with that dark makeup around his eyes, the lighting really accentuates the heaviness of what he's going through and this thing that he's putting himself through of trying to solve the Riddler's massive plot and what it is and what the secrets are that are being unmasked, the truth that's being unmasked at the end of the day by the Riddler is also something the Batman's interested in at the same time, but he doesn't want to go about it the same way as the Riddler does kind of thing. And I will bring that nicely around to one of my other favorite moments so like i said cinematography for the car scene with the upside down shot of the batman beautiful uh, and that whole sequence was really fun um but my next point really is the bit where someone goes who are you and then he goes i'm vengeance it really good because it doesn't play on that thing that everybody would usually expect the i'm batman like everybody knows he's the batman you can see he's the batman the film is called the batman for crying out loud like you don't need to be told who he is by the person in the film so to actually use something that's a little bit more original a little bit more darker and meaningful that is something that's impressive and actually the what kind of cheapens it a little bit one of my sort of downsides is they keep referring to him like i think zoe kravitz uh, as Catwoman, she actually refers to him, all right, Vengeance. She actually calls him Vengeance like that's his actual name. Like, I'm pretty sure it was a metaphor, uh, Selena. <laughs> you don't have to go for that, but I don't know. It's It kind of cheapened the effect of the initial I am Vengeance by actually calling him Vengeance and people going, Oi, Vengeance, you're right. Uh, it, it just seemed like it was too casual, too weird, too normal, and really detracted from the dramatic purpose of the film and that moment itself that Matt Reeves created which was perfect on its own but then that's why I say it should have been shorter because you get silly mistakes like that that really cheapen the effect of the film and the character's integrity. The Riddler's presence throughout the entire film again that was one of my favourite things just him as a character was just perfect I think really the film is about the Batman and the Riddler that's it 
Personally, I think whilst Catwoman assisted the Batman a bit, it was, you know, all right. And you also got the Penguin, which led as a stepping stone to the Riddler's final ploy. I don't really think that the Penguin, Catwoman, and even sometimes, I mean, Gordon is needed as like the backbone for the Batman. And I quite liked their little relationship that we got to see throughout. But his involvement was probably the right amount of involvement. Whereas I feel like the Penguin's emphasis in some scenes was sometimes a little bit contrived and a little bit overused sometimes. But I do think that at the end of the day, the Riddler and the Batman were the main focus. And then that sort of leads me on to something else that I would like to hook up as well. The fact they have a nearly three hour long film and they kept all this stuff with the Penguin and Catwoman and everything like that. They made them integral to the plot, but also fairly not. They deleted a scene in which we go to Arkham and we see the Batman interview, or interrogate, should I say, a particular character which we all know and love, the Joker. And he only appears in... He actually appears in the final cut of the film. He does appear towards the end because the Joker and the Riddler make friends in the cells as their next-door neighbours, as it were. And they kind of give us a sense of what's to come then. And we really think, oh, the Joker could have been in this film, but then... I kind of like the fact that they didn't use the Joker as a main point. I would have preferred it maybe if they didn't put the Joker in at all, because then the emphasis on the Riddler and the Batman would have been much more poignant and very central then. But I think that the Joker's involvement at the end was okay. That little cameo, that's fine. But the there's a five-minute deleted scene which has surfaced online. It's been posted online and everyone's watched it now, I'm sure, who's been interested in this film. And we get to see how this version, a new version of the Joker, could have been brought to life. And I just think that I'm glad they didn't put him in because I think the film would have been... like It was nearly three hours long. It could have been a big mistake to add him in to the mix because you got the Penguin, the Joker the Batman, the Riddler, Gordon, you know, got all these characters all together, and it would have been so much. Whereas you take the Joker out, it's one less villain to sort of be like, oh yeah, it's another iconic villain. I think, personally, they didn't need the Penguin in the film really at all. That's just my personal opinion. But at the end of the day, I do appreciate they got rid of the Joker scene. But looking at the scene on its own, I think it was a very well done scene and very well shot. And you didn't really, I don't know, revel then as much as you would in the film in the, say, version that Todd Phillips presented us of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. I think that the film is very wise not to overcrowd its main plot with all these different characters, because otherwise you end up with a big massive super villain team up and you don't want that at the end of the day you want to focus on the main plot at hand and that is what Matt Reeves did and I'm very pleased that he did do that but at the same time I do think yeah Penguin and Catwoman weren't really as necessary but they played their part so I just about got on with it and the long pauses could have been taken out of certain scenes other scenes kept in but those scenes you know, removed, just to make it more concise and more, I don't know, not even enjoyable, just a little bit more pacey in places, because the action scenes were like, bam, 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 gone before you knew it. All these other scenes, you know, I don't mind the detective stuff, the detective work, because that's what I do enjoy about this film, is the fact that it's not a traditional superhero film. But then again, I think it could have been executed slightly more concisely, 
and that's a problem with superhero films nowadays. Like, I'm going to say it now, whilst it is a well-thought-out film as a four-hour epic, the Snyder Cut of Justice League, it's really long. There's not a problem with the character development, the way it's done, but I think if you're going to do really long films in this day and age of people, I mean, not so much me, I don't mind it too much, but I know people will switch off very easily, and they're very much into watching lots of episodes back to back, but they can't watch a single film because they feel like there's no episode break. So either you do these epic stories in episode form for TV, streaming and stuff like that, or you, I don't know, reintroduce something that will make it a little bit more smoother then for this current audience. Uh, but th that's just my opinion. I personally don't mind long films as long as they're, I mean, I just about made it through the Snyder Cut, but at the end of the day, this film, it did keep me on my toes and it kept me going and really interested and gripped. And I think that's because we left, and that's the good thing about including things like the Penguin and Catwoman, you left the main narrative for a bit just enough to be like, well, what's happening with the Riddler? What, what's happening? That's what I enjoyed about it. The thrill of thinking what's going to happen. It gave me that effect that you get from watching a TV show week after week. What's going to happen next? And this is where we ended up. So, you know, the cinematography of the car scene with the Penguin, I Am Vengeance, ruined a little bit by its overuse, but I can deal with that a little bit. The Riddler's presence throughout was brilliant. And, yeah, this tale of cat and mouse, or should I say bat and Riddler, was really, really well executed. And that ending, it opens up with a monologue, like a traditional film noir would, and closes with a monologue. And I really like that bookend of the voiceover. I really actually thought we were going to get a voiceover throughout when I first heard it at the beginning. But then when it disappeared, I was pleasantly surprised. I was very happy that it just came back at the end as a nice bookend. A little bit in the way that, you know, Double Indemnity does a voiceover throughout as a constant reminder that this is a man telling a story from beyond these events. Whereas this film actually does that same thing, but you imagine that he's explaining it at the beginning and setting it up for you, and then you have to make your own mind up. You make your own opinion up. So that's what I think is really good. And then he comes back to close the film up and sort of reflect on who he is as a person and what he's going to be as he moves forward. So that is what I think is a great thing about the narrative, how it starts like a traditional film noir, ends as a traditional film noir. There's detective bits in the middle, well-shot sequences throughout, but it could have been shorter. That's my general gist of it, and I'd give it a rating of 8 out of 10, only because of the, the length and some of the demeaning moments of, you know, characters that weren't needed, and also certain things that were cheapened then, shall we say, by their overuse, the Iron Vengeance. Um, but the initial Iron Vengeance, I got a great chill on my spine when I watched that. But to sum it up, the Batman is an intense psychological detective thriller akin to the real-life Zodiac Killer, and also you can make connections to films like David Fincher's Seven, uh, and many more, to be honest with you. Loads of different aspects can be connected to this film, more than I could possibly go into right now. But let's focus on the Batman for now. The ending of the film, um, like I said, it sees Gotham in ruins. Very similar to how Todd Phillips' The Joker ends, with madness ensued all around. 
I, I think that's the general gist that all these new DC films in the Batman universe, they like to show Gotham coming to its knees before a rebirth and the rebirth being this crazy manic world filled with supervillains. And I think everyone's still stuck in this mode of prequels because how the hero came to be. I did like the fact that in this film that we didn't actually have to see Bruce Wayne physically making his back suit and becoming the Batman, although we do still get callbacks to his parents being murdered. And that is entwined into the plot and everything. And uh, But we get to see him as a well-established Batman. He's already established as this masked vigilante and we don't have to see like Christian Bale's version where he literally spends way too long in the middle of nowhere with Liam Neeson training only to go and ignore him and then have a fight with him at the end of the Batman Begins. <laughs> but that I'll save that for another review another time. But like I said, the ending of these films is cataclysmic and very Armageddon-like, but we see a bit of hope in the light, and that's the bat sign and... The fact that we get to see that one last thing of Batman and Selina going their separate ways, doing a bit of a fast and furious on us, I have to admit. I do think it would have been better if they just ended it where Batman's looking up to the sky and he's in that big flooded... It's like Madison Square Garden, uh, the concert hall place, but for Gotham, where he stood there in the daylight comes in. It'd be better if we just saw that overhead shot where it's looking down, it's looking up. Uh, or maybe even just a thing of him looking backwards. It would have been so much better to end there rather than have to do a Fast and Furious of them driving together and they're going in opposite directions. I just think it, again, it's another thing that cheapened the film a little bit, but that's me being picky because I did enjoy it overall. In the end, this Batman versus Riddler flick is a great success, but could have been much tighter in places. So that's what I'd like to say about The Batman, 8 out of 10, psychological detective thriller with lots of great cinematography in the mix. And I'd like to also add that I enjoyed the fact that the Joker wasn't added in again, because that's the other thing as well I'd like to say, is that the Joker versus the Batman is a very traditional thing. The Bat and the Joker, it's a classic villain thing. we got Jack Nicholson in... Batman from 1989 we always see the Joker as Batman's arch nemesis it's even joked about and parodied, parodied in the Lego Batman movie they are akin and so well entwined with one another they can't escape each other so for a film to actually step away from the traditions and the stereotypes of just using the Joker and the Batman in one film and focusing on another villain and really not paying attention to the main one it was really refreshing and really nice to see. So I enjoyed that a lot. And before I continue and conclude this episode, I'd just like to quickly break down a question which I'll pose to you guys. Who is your favourite Batman? For me, it's not our Bats, as I'm going to call him now. For me, Robert Pattinson's Batman is at number three. I've got top three, so he's at number three because he was enjoyable, he was great, he brought the detective vibe, he was really good. Um, number two, I'd say, is Christian Bale only because the Dark Knight trilogy is so well-renowned, but not because I enjoy the entire trilogy. For me personally, I love the textured, layered aspects of Batman Begins and the Scarecrow plot, but as a Batman overall, I do like Christian Bale. He is a good Batman. And for me, I know he's, you know, stiff-necked and everything, but for me, Batman will always be, and in my number one spot, 
Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton is my favourite Batman of all time. I know people say so much about the Batman and Batman Returns films from the 80s and 90s, but I genuinely think that Tim Burton's vision and Michael Keaton's performance was a great partnership. And that's the same, I think, for Robert Pattinson's Batman and Matt Reeves. I feel that they were a killer combination. Christopher Nolan does an alright job with Christian Bale, but I think Christian Bale does probably a lot of work by himself to bring that serious, crazy stuff to the role. And I do think that at the end of the day, Christian Bale is American psycho at the end of the day, but in Batman (laughs) and rich. But that's all I will say for now on my top three Batman. So Michael Keaton and number one, Christian Bale number two, and Robert Pattinson and number three. I don't dislike Ben Affleck, but I just think he's just like, yeah, I'm Ben Affleck. Uh, and I think all I can really imagine Ben Affleck as is the guy that was on the run from Rosamund Pike and Gone Girl. I'm sorry, that's all I have to say on Ben Affleck. He did an all right job in the Zack Snyder universe, but at the end of the day, I completely enjoyed those three guys as opposed to him. And honourable mention is Adam West, because he always brings the fun factor. And we won't mention anything to do with uh, George Clooney. <laughs> Let's face it. Uh, Val Kilmer was actually a better Batman than George Clooney. I will say that now, even though people do not like Batman forever. And that's a wrap on Take 97, a film podcast, the Matt Reeves, the Batman edition of the podcast. And I can't wait to hear from you guys soon on any of our Instagram page feeds and everything else. Let me know what your favourite moment was from the Batman if you've seen it. And also who your favourite Batman is. Was it Robert Patterson? Is it Michael Keaton like me? Or do you have a soft spot for George Clooney? I will talk to you again soon guys. And I look forward to bringing you a brand new episode very soon. And also those series of episodes coming later this year. Thank you so much guys. Look after yourself. See you later.